Hello, and welcome to the EdSurge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. This week, we're talking about an effort to teach kids to code. Okay, you may be going, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard all about those programs. But this week's guest, Tarek Tidwell, is thinking bigger for his students. We want to open up the middle class. Well, how do we do that, right? How do we provide them with an access to innovation? Um, and that's kind of what this, this platform is about, is the access to innovation and access to opportunity. Tidwell is director of STEM innovation at Johnson C. Smith University, an historically black college situated in the heart of Charlotte, North Carolina. The city is full of contradictions. On one hand, the place is booming, with the headquarters of Bank of America and an emerging startup scene. But a recent analysis scored Charlotte dead last in terms of economic mobility among the nation's 50 largest cities, with pockets of concentrated poverty. Tidwell sees coding as a key bridge, a way to open kids' eyes to a mode of thinking and a world of job opportunities. I sat down with this tech leader during a recent conference at Stanford to talk about his efforts and how he works to bring the Silicon Valley ethos to his students. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the EdSurge On Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the EdSurge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. All right, I'm talking to Tarek Tidwell, Director of STEM Innovation at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks so much for talking with us. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So we're at a conference here um, in, at Stanford University <laughs> talking with a bunch of people talking about university innovation. Yeah. You mentioned something about working with the K-12. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you guys are uh, HBCU, you're... you're you know, the higher ed system. And a lot of times higher ed doesn't really work with K-12 um, on much. No. uh, But but part of what you're doing with your outreach involves K-12. Could you talk a little bit about about that and how it works? Yeah. um, So, I mean, again, a lot of universities haven't done a lot with K-12. Most have been focused on, of course, you know, their students coming in. Um, As a new urban university, one of the missions is to think about how do we impact the communities around us? Um, and one of them is within the K-12 area. So K-12, you know, you want to see what's, how is it that we're able to support our teachers, our families, the students that are coming in. It may not have a direct beneficiary to the university, but it improves our social mission. So one of the things that's been around STEM, and STEM particularly because in the North Carolina area, we have a huge, huge push to make sure that STEM is in every school, that hmm. students are getting project-based learning, that there's some level of technology. Uh, and just recently, more of the schools have been adopting this computer science for all education. Sure. There's been a huge push from the state to adopt that computer science for all. So as a university, you think about, like, how do we, you know, take our social mission to the community? How do we take our assets, our faculty, our knowledge, our resources, and how do we start to infuse that into supporting you know, these institutions, you know, some of the teachers, for instance, who are teaching uh, science and math do not have degrees in science and math, right? So you think about that, particularly in some of the communities where the university is located, where there is not enough teachers with master's degrees or with bachelor's degrees in those core subject areas. Hmm. And as you start thinking about, you know, uh, computer science, who's teaching those kids those concepts and do they fundamentally understand those concepts to a way to engage students? So as you're looking at this and you're getting feedback from teachers, 
you're getting feedback from their professional development staff, you're getting feedback from the principals. Well, let's figure out a way to sit down and break this apart and see how we can work together. So we've been really over the last year has been about co-creating mm -hmm. some of this to figure out and really think about, well, how can we support, you know, your teachers? How can we support um, the students in, an, in, a, in a different structured environment? So we created a whole new college prep academy that's external to, the, um, to, the, to one of the schools that we're partnered with to provide them with a out-of-school learning experience, but is using the assets from that school and the university combined together. So that's kind of been a very cool co-creation, which is here's after school, but we're extending the learning process by bringing both some of the university assets and the school assets together. Um, so that's one of the, the cool things right now, co-creation. I know this is, it's kind of popular these days to say STEM oh, yeah. for all, <laughs> but since you're somebody in, that lives and breathes this, how could you? How would you articulate why you think it's important for for these kids? Because that's what you know, so, these school kids that know STEM. I mean, and, and computer science in particular. Yeah. So, so here's here's something I think, which is um, there was a study by Raj Chetty, and something that we've uh, kind of really looked at, it, and this is something that we're also discussing further, which is how do we ensure that there's access to this innovation economy, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things, which is how do we create equitable. Um, growth and development. How do, how do we start to have thriving communities? Uh, how do we both have equitable development and economic growth? And those are things which is how do we start to build this into our infrastructure? Charlotte right now, where the city, where John C. Smith is located, is, um, is was, was ranked number 50 out of 50, right? 50 out of 50 in terms of economic mobility for um, students born or kids born into poverty Ouch. to get out. For those born into the, this comes like a CAD system. So how do you help to get you know folks who are um, maybe coming from the different economic ladder to you know a top or to middle? We want to say we want to open up the middle class. Well, how do we do that, right? How do we provide them with an access to innovation? Um, and that's kind of what this this platform is about: is the access to innovation and access to opportunity. So that's really important because we're seeing so much change happening. We're seeing change happening in technology. Um, it's affecting almost every industry, automation, robots. So there's even, you know, how do we provide people with the skills and knowledge for that future economy? We're going through industry transformations across um, the medical, the legal, the financial. So, you know, there, there, there's jobs that are not currently even invented yet. So we have to start thinking about ways to prepare everyone so that way they can have that opportunity. And for those who are, you know, in uh, more impoverished communities or who may not have access to those social networks, to those knowledge opportunities or those after-school opportunities um, or during the summer opportunities, they may be missing out on some of those things. So how do we provide them with the access to innovate? You know, we give them the access by providing with summer camps. We did over 300, we served over 200 kids over the summer and free summer camps, STEM summer camps. How do we provide them with more of a hands-on teacher mentoring um, type of learning experiences with college students where they have that chance to see the model? We're trying to provide hope and faith. So STEM is one way of moving students. I think it's one way of moving students um, who may come from that bottom quintile to the upper quintiles. And that's something which all, you know, our economy thrives on, which is innovation. You know, the problems that we're gonna be solving um, the problems we're going to be solving are not going to come from the one percent, right? The problems we're going to be solving and we're going to have some real societal value, maybe coming from the middle class, maybe coming from you know that bottom quintile. 
So what if we was to give them the skills, give them the social networks, give them the resources, we will maybe be able to become a very more innovative country, a more innovative economy, and also that can be used in so many other countries as well. Now, why and why the college's role? Because some colleges don't see it as their role. <laughs> I think right? all colleges. It's... I mean, all colleges should play that role. I think some have done an exceptional job. We, you may say, a university say, well, what is the need for us to focus on? our K-12 local area when most of our students don't come from our local area. So that means that, you know, we, we may just focus on the students when they get here. But I think it's kind of a sense of we want to take our social mission um, and extend it to the community, extend it to the vitality of the university as well. And, and even if these students don't come to you, mm-hmm. you feel like it's part of what you need to do. Yeah, it's part of what we need to do. I mean, our university, 150 years old, we just celebrated uh, that this year. So, you know, Congrats. 150 years, you know. but. At HBCU, why were we started in the first place, right? We were started after um, the Civil War. We were started after the Civil War. I mean, so that means that we were started with, with a mission to provide opportunity, provide hope and faith, because um, we started with teachers and preachers, um, to provide hope and faith to folks who were coming from marginalized backgrounds, who were part of this. You know, it was not out of choice. It was the necessity um, to do something that we, we needed to do. Um, so I think that's one of the things that we've carried on uh, 150 years. We we now see it as we are evolving uh, this new urban university, you know, model around um, place-based, you know, opportunity, place-based innovation, and the university serving as both uh, a platform and an anchor. You're we're out here in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. this week um, visiting Stanford, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you've taken the time to like do some other things around town. Yeah. Um, why? What do you think this? What is, you know, why, you mentioned you come here sometimes, like, what is, what is it about this, um, you know, the, the Bay Area that you feel like is, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people see it as, as a, a driver of innovation, but, mm-hmm. um, but you're, we're far from Charlotte out mm-hmm. here. So why, why, you know, what do you, what do you kind of look for when you're out here? Oh, I mean, I, I think, uh, I look for a lot of things. So one gives a little bit of historical context, um, I grew up in a small town, Plainfield, New Jersey. Uh, got a chance. My parents moved over to um, Piscataway, New Jersey, which is right near Rutgers. But mm-hmm. there was also IEEE, which was right behind the high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had Colgate, right a block away. Then you had another, uh, I think it was Bell Labs or something else like that. Mm-hmm. And you just grew up within this, like, this, this kind of this... Um, incubator of all this stuff happening you don't know I mean at the time you're in you know middle school high school that you're not really paying attention to all this stuff but then as you get older now I'm older it's like I really enjoyed that type of like learning environment and lived in New York for a couple of years then moved out to Denver that was awesome where you have that same type of environment Um, got a chance to come out to the Bay Area a lot through some really opportunities and got a, my, a lot of my friends are out here too. So it was like, you know what, I love where there's this, this wealth of exploration, this wealth of um, how can we do something and make it better? Um, how are we learning? What are we learning? Um, how do we know that we know and how do we know that we don't know? And kind of the Bay Area, I would say, has all, that's kind of been the attraction so I, I kind of come out here three times a year, and I also kind of go to New York and Jersey at least three times a year. So that's kind of my fix. Um, and then I take some of that stuff back to Charlotte, right? Um, I think one of the things we, we, we want to see is, you know, 
we want to reduce this, this level of echo chamber innovation, right? It only can happen in Silicon Valley. That's not true. It can happen anywhere. I mean, it can, but you can say that how do we create a learning culture, you know? How do we create a learning culture in some of these um, locations and in, in maybe in a Rust Belt? Some of the stuff that's happening is cool, like in Atlanta. So I think it, it can happen anywhere. It's just the fact of creating the right conditions for it, but also mm. getting a chance to really, you know, get outside the box. How do you do that when you're like going to these high schools or even in, in your own college when you're trying to, to, to you know, it's, it's like a tall order. Like it's, one thing to, <laughs> it's one thing to say like I'm going to teach you computer coding, mm-hmm. but you're talking about something bigger, yeah. that, like entrepreneurship yeah. and, and really mm-hmm. thinking differently, I think. Right? Yeah, I, I think it's about modeling that behavior, mm-hmm. right? Um, the most important thing you can do um, is model that behavior. About a week ago, I uh, had about nine different... Um, change agents or uh, change makers, social entrepreneurs come and visit from Taiwan, Hong Kong, um, Morocco, from um, was there Jamaica. So there were all, all these folks who are doing some level of entrepreneurship, some level of um, innovation in their own country mm-hmm. uh, through the International Visitor Leaders Program with the State Department um, and bringing them to the university where they're sitting down with our faculty asking questions with our faculty. But one of the, the better parts of that was is the schools that we partnered with. We actually invited some of them, uh, the teachers and also some of the students, to come and be a part of that conversation. Students who are saying, well, hey, I may never have visited Morocco. I may not have a, class, a student in my class that's from Morocco. Taiwan or from um, Namimbi. Okay, what's going on? I think to give them a global perspective of what's happening, but also give a sense of what their education, this is part of their education, is learning on a global level. So I think it's kind of modern the behavior to be in a room to facilitate those conversations. Uh, last year, I did get a chance to go down to uh, South America, Suriname, and took some of our students who have never been out the country. Hmm. And I mean, no, a lot of people probably don't even know, where is Suriname? Like, what? So like, given a chance to really talk about and say, we're going to model this by going to a country that we've never been to, that I have no friends in, and we're going to be there for some time and learn with some people. And I think that's kind of modeling those behaviors that it's okay to learn. It's okay to be in uh, new environments. And, and it's okay to be curious and take risks and provide them with that support system to take risks, to be comfortable, you know, and they're still in high school or they're freshmen in college, but they're sitting around with people who are diplomats from different countries. So mm-hmm. I think it's providing them the opportunity, creating conditions for those opportunities to continuously happen as well. What do you do for your own students? We talked a little bit at the K-12 mm-hmm. part. What do you do for your own students to make sure they're prepared to, um, you know, I mean, there, there's a pretty well-stated um, discussion right now about the uh, a lack of diversity mm-hmm. in, in the Valley and oh, yeah. c- computer coding oh, yeah. about some of the, these digital economy mm-hmm. issues. And, and so how do you... How do you prepare your students and and really try to get at that divide? Oh, that's that's. Um, (laughs) Is there any? What role do you play at this point? Oh, a lot. So, I mean, uh, this summer we just did our first pre-college computer science summer institute project, right? Um, For students coming into the university to get them a much more of a deep, immersed experience in coding in computer science. Um, that's one of the things which is we see a lot of students are not going into computer science. Mm-hmm. We see that they don't know about computer science. Mm-hmm. I had one student uh, a year or so go give me feedback. I said, why didn't you think about computer science? She's like, 
I never thought of it. You know, I didn't have it in my college. I didn't have it in high school. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any tech things. So, you know, given the, providing that risk-free environment for students to explore. To try it out. To try it out. You know, and the best thing I had last week was one of my students come back to me and says, you know what, Mr. Titwell, I want to go into UX. I want to be, you know, a user experience researcher and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, it was a breakthrough. You know, it was a breakthrough because we took some data from the service. Like, what is it that you want to, what are you, what are you interested in? Right. She was interested in communications. Um, she didn't know about the careers and, the, and opportunities in, you know, um, human computer engineering and all the things that come along with, like, computer science. It's broad. Right. It, it's it not broad. just being the total it's geek that It's not total geek that's coding, yeah. You that makes the back end yeah. zeros and ones. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but it comes with exposure. It comes with having a community, a safe place to explore, you know, and one of her friends was also in our program who became friends. You create a, a community. Create a community around that does that. Yeah, create a community where um, there's 20 students who are coming in, pilot, of course, who are coming in who have had no real exposure to computer science and go through three weeks, I mean, intense, intense, where they're up from like seven in the morning, they're, code, they're in coding around about nine till five for three weeks, coming out of higher, coming out of K twelve and getting ready to transition. They spent their summer, their last summer, you know, after high school, in this experience, um, and that's 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 where it's like you know what, this is what we want to be able to do. Is this what opportunity looks like when you have a state where less than about five percent of the students who take the uh, computer science um, AP exam are minority students. Wow. That, that's that's big, you know. Like less than five percent are taking, you know, computer science um, courses or AP exams. You know, that's college ready. But what are we doing to provide them with it uh, if they missed out on it? What are we doing to expose them to the twenty first century economy? Um, so this pre college HPC is a great opportunity for us to work with some of our partners, particularly um, Google on this work. It was hmm. like, yeah, how do we, you know, how do we start to look at this as a uh, opportunity to work with other universities, work with other um, you know corporate partners, where some of the mentors may come in on a Friday or Saturday and talk about the world of fintech, talk about the world of biotech, or how they're using computer science with um, cameras. One of the one of the students who were in that program, he wanted to go into biology, uh, but he has a passion for cameras. So I was like, well, you know what, I'm going to connect you with a friend of mine who's over at MIT Media Lab, you know, so that way you can get a little bit understanding you have a passion and how computer science can be related to your passion, you know. So he's like, now he's all geeked out. He's a freshman still, um, geeked out. Another student who, she was in biology, wants to go into biology. Now she's looking at, well, I did not know about biotech. So I had to do a research on a company that's out here in the Bay Area. I think uh, out here in the Bay Area that's doing a whole uh, new type of computer science and biotech, you know, and that's what's, that's what's coming. That's what's coming, which is the world is evolving. But how are we giving them opportunities to explore? How are we giving them environments where we're saying, hey, here's a person, here's a company, here's an experience where they see themselves in that, in that role or see themselves being a part of that economy as well. Hmm. So uh, as we keep moving forward, there's more opportunities. Um, Related to startup and entrepreneurship, we're doing more network. Got a planning grant to continually build on network. Um, I'm, I'm really excited because the spring semester, we're going to use the spring break as entrepreneurship week. You know, where they get a full immersion for a full week. But prior to that, it's going to be building it up until that full week. 
um, few of our students are actually going to be at the new HBCU Innovation Commercialization Entrepreneurship Summit that's going to be in the Bay Area. Um, so there, two of our students just got their acceptance letters today. So they're really stoked out about it nice. um, to come out to the Bay Area and say, hey, you know, I've never been to San Francisco. I've never been to the Bay Area. What is this world of startup? What is this world of tech? You know, I, th- I hear, I heard some people. I feel like in, there's some reaction to some of this, like code for all, mm-hmm. as a question about is that really, you know, of all the things, there's plenty of problems in, in, in yeah. your community and a lot of communities in this country, um, and is that is that where we should go first? You know, is, is coding? <laughs> I mean, you you presented a lot of compelling reasons, but um, but at the same time. You know, it, does everyone really need to code, and mm-hmm. do, or is that the best intervention um, uh, to go to? Uh, or are there other ways to use? You know, are there other education programs that might have more impact? I mean, what would you say to someone that wonders about this kind of? Does everyone need this? I mean, does everyone need to code? Um, it depends upon like, do they need to be advanced coders? <laughs> and I think it's kind of like, what do you, what do you mean by code, right? Because code can mean, does everyone need to know how to use um, Microsoft? Excel, or just want everyone need to know how to use, um, you know, uh, different types of data visualization. What do you tools. think is the right? Yeah, you know, so is, it depends, right? There's sure. so much because coding. People are like, oh, we're doing coding. It's like that's not coding. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, work in Excel. Yeah, yeah. Work in Excel. Like that's. But it's kind of like, what is that? What do you mean? Like, oh, we, we have a coding camp and we're doing. It's like, so I think it's kind of like let's 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 get away from the skill mm-hmm. a little bit and start to focus on some of the competencies, right? Um, let's start getting more building students or building folks these opportunities through computational thinking practices, through computational thinking uh, activities. Mm-hmm. So that way they're developing, you know, this this um, this type of disposition or this type of mindset um, that may go into the world of computer science uh, versus mm-hmm. it just being I know how to code. But, you know, to be a great, you know, I would say coder, computer science, like, you have to be able to focus, right? You're going to have to be able to be able to solve problems that you've never seen. You've got to be able to deal with ambiguity. You're going to have to be able to deal with a lot of that. That's, that's, that's a habit. You know, it's hmm. not the fact that I know that IMG underscore SRC equals, uh, that's the formula. But how do I take that and start to apply all these formulas in a unstructured environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of like, how do I get comfortable with applying formulas and restructuring those formulas in a different environment um, and being able to feel confident to do so. So I think that's kind of like it's, it's not so much of the um, coding as a skill, but more of the computational opportunities to, to be able to uh, apply different types of formulas, different types of modes of thinking to, to think and, and leverage technology. What's the best tool to use for, to solve this problem? It may not be technology. It may be low tech or no tech. Well, thank you so much for talking today. I appreciate the time. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much, Jeff. (laughs) This has been the Ed Surge On Air podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever. And you can support the show by taking a minute to give a rating or leave a review. This episode was produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education. Thanks for listening.